Hey, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jarrett Fuller, and this is my podcast about design criticism and practice. This week's episode is a little bit different than my usual conversations. I am joined by Cab Braskowski and Chris Sharon, who are two of the founders of one of my favorite websites, Arena. Arena, which is styled A-R-E-N-A, is this really interesting social bookmarking and research tool that is sort of a stripped-down Pinterest mixed with a sort of old-school, delicious bookmarking and has truly become central to my own research and, and teaching practices. And as we talk about in this episode... I was a late adopter. I was really skeptical of a new bookmarking service, uh, but over the last couple of months have really grown to love it. Cab, Chris, and I talk about the origins of the site and how their own backgrounds as artists and designers and how that shaped the direction of Arena and how they think about the service and the platform and what they want to do with it. But we also talk about larger questions around uh, open source and public discourse and the sort of performative nature of social media and how research is its own type of artistic practice. And we kind of use Arena to talk about all of these kind of larger larger topics, which I think is a really fascinating discussion. As you'll hear in this episode, I'm a big fan of Arena and, and what these guys are doing. I use it all the time with my students and in my own research. And just to help catalog and organize my brain and I just really appreciate Cab and Chris's approach and thinking in how they build it. If you aren't on it, I actually think it's a really geared towards the scratching the surface listener. I encourage you to sign up. We can follow each other and share work and research. Remember if you're a fan of the podcast and want to help support it, you can become a member for five dollars a month or for the month of December, we're offering yearly memberships for forty dollars. Members get an exclusive monthly newsletter that has additional content and episode previews. These memberships help keep the podcast going. I just really appreciate all of your support. And I hope that you enjoyed this great conversation with Arena's Cab Roskowski and Chris Sharon. time for some reason I never said arena out loud mm-hmm. and so I would read it as Arnia <laughs> like 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 the Chronicles of Narnia yeah, but I would say yeah, Arnia yeah, yeah. and then I said it out loud but like I knew it was arena and then I said it out loud and was like wait I don't think that's what it is and so I might <laughs> slip our, up is that a major problem oh boy that's the one thing holding us back yeah, yeah, yeah right I mean it doesn't even make sense because there's not a I there, so it's. And we've had so many different versions of that, so okay. it's not surprising. Okay, yeah. I just want to say that. So if I, you know, in case we're like halfway through and I say Arnia, <laughs> you don't know, look at me like we're a half hour into this. You have no idea what our product <laughs> is called. <laughs> um, but I mean, maybe that actually we should kind of start there and on on the website and on the um, the Republic kind of. Uh, uh, like fundraising yeah. thing, you describe Arena as um, a, a knowledge sharing platform, mm-hmm. and that's like kind of vague and kind of you know there, there's like a lot to that. And so I would love for you to just like describe what Arena is and how you think about it. Yeah, I mean that is something that we've had um, 
trouble boiling down into something that's like really easy to tell someone very quickly because I think we're I don't I don't know what the reasons are actually we just think about it in so many different ways but I think the way that the easiest way to describe it is I think for or the what has been the most successful for me at describing it to someone is describing how I would use it or how I do use it um, which is you know at any given time, I have like a couple of different threads of things that I'm thinking about. And maybe I don't know exactly how to define what those threads are, or I wouldn't know how, like, how to explain what the <laughs> gist of that thread is. And, but when I see something in the world, or I read something, or you know, see an image, or watch a video, or read a quote, or something, it will remind me of that thread. Like I know it's associated with right. that place. So being able to like put it in that place and start to articulate in a in a sort of more concrete way what that thread is, um, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, yeah. Not, that's not a straightforward way to describe what it is, but it's sort of like, you know, the thing that Pinterest I feel like is it's like a really missed opportunity, and I hate to use Pinterest as like a way to associate, but um, you know, this idea of mood boarding can apply to like lots of different types of things and putting a bunch of stuff putting a bunch of information into a place is actually like a really it tells you a lot about what you're looking at and yeah. why you're interested in it and how those things are connected it's sort of like a personal yeah i'll just like lay all my cards at the table and be completely honest up front that i was like very skeptical yeah of arena when i first heard about it and when i first you know, had some friends who started to get really excited about it. And then I had some students who were using it and were yeah. really excited about it. I was just was like hearing about it everywhere. And I kind of resisted it for a really long time, like too long, actually. Um, what was the and, skepticism? Well, yeah, I'll, yeah, t yeah. I'll tell you. I So I, this is kind of embarrassing now, but I was really deep into Evernote. Okay. And I used Evernote exactly the way you're talking right. about, where it was a way for me to kind of like organize these threads of things that I was thinking about. And so I had the little like bookmarklet in my in my browser and any image that I found, any article that I read, um, after I read books, I, like things that were highlighted, I would transcribe and, and put into Evernote. And so I was just like deep into that yeah. service for like 10 years. Right. And so I was kind of just resistant to anything that was new. But then it just seemed like, I hope this doesn't come across the wrong way, but it was like uh, like artsy or Pinterest. You know, it was like, right, a, right, like a stripped right. down Pinterest. Yeah. And I was skeptical of the like publicness of it and the socialness yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah. And, it. And then so finally, like some people that I really respect told me, you know, you really, this is like everything you're about. You need to be honest. So I was like, okay, I'll sign up. Signed up. And it took me a couple of weeks to kind of like fully get it, but it was, it ended up being that publicness that is what won me over. Yeah, yeah. The reason I, I was skeptical of the publicness is because I assumed, and maybe this is like my own insecurity, that there was going to be a certain kind of performance to it. You know, it's like, I'm only going to post things on here that I want people to sure. see. And so can you, can you just like talk about all of that? Or do you have some yeah. thoughts on that kind of, because it's not just about sharing, or it's not just about collecting your own things, but it's also about exchanging these things and yeah. like sharing these yeah, things. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a couple of things like that. 
that publicness has to be calibrated the right way. <laughs> and I think the thing that like some of us were big into delicious back when, yeah. when, it's, when it was like um, more of a thing. And the great thing about delicious and what I think it was like people don't give it a lot of credit for is the balance between how much it was performative and how much it was just for yourself. Mm. Um, so like when you're saving things to delicious, like you really have the sense that it's just for you. Like you're not, you're not publishing. You're just, you're archiving or you're saving right. or you're putting it into a place and it doesn't necessarily mean anything. It's not the same as posting on Twitter where like you're making a statement or posting on Facebook or whatever. Um, so having that calibration of like it's for you first and foremost, and then like if you're doing it in public, it could be useful for someone else. Right. Um, personally, I have also like associations with that kind of calibration with open source software. So developing yeah. in the public, and at first there is this like sense that what you're doing is going to be like looked at and scrutinized, and people are going to like use what you're contributing as a way to. Um, like give you some sort of value as a programmer or something um, but then you just realize that no one actually cares and that you're doing stuff in public and if right. someone is going to find it interesting they will like come on and help you or if they don't they won't care right. so it doesn't really matter right. but the difference is that you're not it's not like a loudspeaker it's just like you happen to be in the same room as someone yeah yeah I love that I have a lot of thoughts on that I want to come back to that because because yeah. I um and I, I think especially the, how that relates to the design of the site itself. But before we kind of get into that, let's talk about both of your backgrounds a little bit, because you're both co-founders mm -hmm. of, mm -hmm. of the company, but you have very different kind of ways that you got here. Yeah. Um, so, Kev, let's start with you. What, what were you doing before this, or how did, kind of, how did you even get into to building this? So I was... Um I was, I really wanted to have a career as an artist and I was mostly focused on art. Uh, I actually went here at the music school. <laughs> right. um, and like the delicious thing was one of my professors, an artist named Corey Archangel, um, was really like adamant about everyone in his class getting on delicious and saving stuff. Um, That's great. Which, which actually like for me kind of solidified something that I had been doing for a really long time, which is like, Chris and I, probably all of us are of the age where, like, it's, like, the first sort of set of teens or young people that had the, um, had the internet influence their cultural yeah, trajectory yeah, yeah. in a serious way. So, like, before you maybe get, you like, whatever music you get into, you have to rely on whatever is mm -hmm. around you. And then suddenly we come to this place where, like, we have access, access to any kind of culture and that kind of, yeah. like, freedom lets you go wherever so being on the internet at an early age or being on the web at an early age was like that thing of like seeking out new information or seeking out new stuff or like trying to find mm -hmm. what what was interesting was like something that I was already doing and the idea of like saving breadcrumbs um through something like delicious was um, yeah it was kind of like a revelation yeah. so what kind of what kind of art were you doing? like fine art like, like, uh, like no, painting mostly, drawing or what like um, Art on the internet. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So you're already doing digital. Yeah. Things you were your work was kind of online based. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, but through Delicious, I found a bunch of other people who were interested in making the same art. Uh, one of the one of them is another one of our co-founders, Damon Zucconi, uh, who is an amazing artist and is also our uh, CTO. Okay. Um, 
but so I met all these people through that like thing of just like I'm saving this link maybe no one cares about it and then here I find like five people are into it and I look at all their other stuff and I'm like oh my god like there's this whole yeah so that idea of being able to connect with people through actual interests not like uh performed interests yeah it's like yeah I don't know. It's a tricky thing to accomplish, but Delicious did a really good job. Yeah, I feel like I don't want to. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I think you're right. There was like a certain. I don't even know what era you call that, but like early Web 2.0, just the way we communicated with each other is like before there were like these dominant platforms. Like for me, Delicious was one, but I also feel like Flickr, like yeah. early Flickr, oh, yeah. was something that really meant a lot to me when yeah. I was like, like mid-teens is I think when that came out. Yeah, and it just like. I met people on there that I still talk to yeah, and, yeah. and it's just like weird and it's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, I feel the same way about Flickr. Such a huge missed opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Um, Chris, what about you? How, how do you kind of get connected to this? Um, well, like Cab, I was also a delicious user. I was a Flickr user. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, I mean, ever since... Uh, Ever since I had gotten the internet with my parents' computer on, like, dial-up, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. I've been kind of just uh, fiending for information. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I, I, I kind of went through all the different phases, um, AOL Instant Messenger, <laughs> uh, LiveJournal, Zanga, MySpace, Flickr, Delicious, um, found I was on there for a little bit but yeah I agree with with Cab that Delicious was kind of the the one that felt the most inspiring and most like you know you know you're gonna find some good links if you found one link and it belonged to one person check the rest of their stuff right kind of this rabbit hole of tags um that that was all it took you know there wasn't any images on the site at the time there was just like a tag cloud and a list right oh yeah i remember that yeah so um so yeah i don't know i mean i've just always been into that aspect of collecting stuff online and and using it as uh inspiration or source material for projects or ideas or whatever and Um, and you study you study graphic design though right yeah and so what was that how did you get interested in that, or how did how does that filter into this? Uh, I mean, I was using it just to stay inspired. Um, I think just at that time, there was just such an explosion of, like, design, um, people sharing design. Yeah, I yeah. mean, there was, like, me- a couple message boards. That, like there was, Well, not message boards, but there were, like, sites that would be, like, portals. Like, there was one called Design is Kinky, yeah. I remember. Oh, yeah. And, like... Yeah, K10K and QBN and stuff like that. So there was that, but then after that, there was just like a like a just a huge explosion of people that were kind of inspired by those yeah, yeah, yeah. predecessors. Like uh, you work for them. I was really into oh yeah, um, Michael Chena and all those guys. Yeah, that was all super cool. Um, so yeah, I that, think they that, were the first people where I paid for a typeface, right? Because yeah, they had all those like they were like twenty bucks or something yeah, like that. Yeah, they had, I like, forgot all about that. <clears throat> They're the ones that you could afford. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sure. Um, so yeah, through graphic design, I mean, I was I just kind of went and I went to Rhode Island School of Design. I just uh, okay. sort of just went to their curriculum like normal. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't really get into like web stuff at school. It was more just like personal, like learning how to set up a WordPress site. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Basic That's... stuff like that. 
So, so, but like, yeah, after I graduated, I did some branding stuff. I worked at Wolf Owens for a few years, did some like motion graphics stuff. I just kind of always dabbled. So, um, but like after, after I got, after I felt like, you know, I didn't want to do the agency thing. Yeah. Um, this, you know, I, I'd gotten close with Cab and some other people at Arena, and I just decided to, like, come on with them. So oh, Arena nice. was already around for maybe, like, a year before uh, I came less on. Less than that. Probably. Or less than Six. a year. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I have I have two more questions about that, because I, I think we're probably roughly the same age, yeah. and your experience of kind of getting into kind of design and is, is and then even your, your time at at uh, RISD sounds so similar to my own experience of being a kid and kind of discovering design and going to school and it was like very kind of print based and like like our one web class was um, uh, uh, that Adobe Dreamweaver oh Dreamweaver <laughs> <laughs> it was like you, we made a website in Dreamweaver and then the advanced web class was you set up a WordPress mm, site okay, okay. Um, but I'm curious I, I don't know if there's a question here other than I, I just kind of want to see how similar our kind of early experiences were because I definitely the internet for me is kind of like what opened up graphic design for me. I grew up in, in the suburbs. I had never met a graphic designer before, but I was kind of interested in art kind of stuff. And when I got online and somehow stumbled onto, you know, these same sites, it just was like, oh, this is this is kind of the thing that I want to do. Mm. And then what I thought I wanted to do then is obviously very different than what I'm doing now, but I'm kind of curious like how that, you know, that has changed for you or like what was that thing when you were a kid looking at these sites and how has that changed to, you know, kind of where your career has ended up going. That's <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, it's yeah, kind of a like weird big question. No, I kind of, I kind of understand what you, what you mean. Cause like, you know, you, during sort of this like early design um online like websites being able to see other people's work i feel like yeah like i was kind of more of a inexperienced designer so yeah i kind of just wanted to do what i saw like album artwork (laughs) right yeah yeah yeah. but um as i i don't know like as you mature and as you learn i just like wasn't learning anything new doing that um right i think with right with arena doing like user interface design and user experience design that's just something that you know i'm like relatively newer to so that's what like drives me now is just being able to learn um through like yeah Yeah. through just like tweaking a, a single product instead of like doing this poster for this person this poster for that person this PDF for this client, this PDF yeah. for that client, I'm just constantly tweaking and refining this, like, one holistic, uh, like, tool. And yeah. It, and it, it's kind of, like, more selfless because there's no... I'm not, like, trying to, like... You know, I'm not trying to bring my personal aesthetic into it. Right, know? right. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I want to I talk more about the design, but I want to finish this thread for a second. So how did, how did you guys end up connecting or... And then maybe sub question or pre question maybe is you know so I guess delicious wasn't doing what you needed it to like how yeah. what can you kind of just where the this kind of love for delicious and that internet sure. you're doing this kind of digital web stuff 
there's all these other kind of bookmarking services and things out there. Yeah. What, where'd the idea that you needed to kind of like make your own or that there was something, there was a space missing that you could do something for? Right. Um, so, well, to give you the sort of longer, slightly yeah. longer version of the story, um, when Delicious got bought by Yahoo, um, a, a, another like the person who originally came up with the name for Arena and most of the idea is a guy named John Michael Bowling. Okay. Um, and he's like our longtime friend. And he was talking to me when, like, right when Yahoo bought Delicious, he was like, we need to make our own thing. Like, this is, yeah. like, Delicious sucks now. Yeah. We have to do something different. Wait, and so this is, like, like 2010 Yeah, something that? like that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so we had started talking about this, like, kind of a long time before we actually started working on it. And he was making, oh, interesting. Like, like, little just HTML mock-ups of what it could look like. That's awesome. Um, and then uh, for me personally, I was like, I was still like, yeah, that's interesting, but I'm like kind of trying to do art right now. <laughs> and then I had one show, one solo show, and I was just like, I never want to do this again. This is a terrible process. Yeah. Um, and then right when that happened, John Michael met someone who uh, had retired. He had started his own business in the 90s called Sapient, which was like a oh, yeah. rival upstart to IBM. Now it's a big advertising company. But in the beginning... Yeah. They were Wait, so not the same Sapient or it was the same? same okay, Sapien. okay. Yeah. So one of the co-founders of Sapient, John Michael Matt, Okay. they started talking and John Michael's idea for Arena and this guy's idea for what he wanted to do on the web were like, there's a lot of... Yeah, around. yeah. Um, so we started talking to him and we were... It was, it was a nice uh, sort of like convert... I don't know how to put this... It was a nice push and pull. Because yeah, yeah. We were, we wanted our own things, and Stuart wanted something very specific, and like that tension actually led to something that was better than both of what anyone was thinking of. Okay. So, so John Michael started talking to him. He was consulting. They brought me on to, to like uh, make a prototype. Okay. Um, but at that point, I think I only knew PHP, and I, you know, it was kind of a crazy thing. Yeah. So I think that uh, the idea was we would hire all people. From like artistic or creative backgrounds. Okay. Um, we brought on another person uh, who's an artist named Dean Diego, and then Damon Zaccone, and then uh, Chris came on after that. Okay. Um, and so in the beginning when we were working, it was kind of like in think tank mode. Like mm. We were building a product that we wanted, um, but there weren't a ton of users. There was no we weren't thinking about making a business. Um, we just wanted to make a tool where it was easy to um, take knowledge, break it down into like component parts, and be able to rearrange those component parts mm -hmm. into different mm -hmm. arrangements. Um, so yeah. So how that how that go from like an idea or just like a thing you went to yourself to there's a business here, or 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 maybe not even jump that far, but just more people might be able to use this than we originally thought. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's interesting because that was like a slow realization. And yeah, very, I, and, I and, imagine. And an almost relatively recent realization. Um, oh, interesting. When we, when we started, I think, I mean, I think the first indication is that, like, we were testing it on most of our friends. And most of our friends, I mean, most of the people that we got to test it are 
snobs. So the fact that yeah. some of those people stuck around in the beginning was kind of like enough validation to keep going. And stuck around not just to be nice, but they were like actually using it. Um, mm. So we had that going for a really long time. Where mm-hmm. like there was an extremely small community of people who were mostly like friends or friends of friends, like not much further out than that, just using it as we want, as we I yeah. thought that it, would, it should be used. Um, and then that just kind of slowly grew. And over time, eventually Stuart decided, the, the guy who started, the co-founder of Sapien, um, decided that he wanted to retire. And instead of just like trashing the whole company, he was like, you guys are like really into this. You should take it and run with it. <laughs> okay, um, nice. So we took I think it. that was nice. Yeah, yeah. no, <laughs> yeah. it was amazing. Yeah, it was incredibly generous. Um, but we were super into it, so we did keep going. Yeah, yeah. Um, but for you know, uh, for a while after that, we were also kind of treating it as a side project. Um, we're like we we just wanted it to keep going because, uh, right. like, we needed it ourselves, and we were like getting, like, all of our friends were using it. So that like, that socialness that you're talking about, which is the draw, is actually the thing that kind of like, at least for me, kept kept me going a little bit. Um, Can you talk about? either of you kind of those that early beginning phase and as you're inviting more people and that kind of social aspect that's happening did did that change like what the product actually is or you know like what I'm I'm curious kind of like what things you learned basically Mm -hmm. as more people who were probably doing different things from different backgrounds from probably different places using it maybe not in the way I realize it was still probably a, a somewhat small group at the time but maybe starting to do things differently than the way you thought about it did that were there any like changes that happened that way I think from the get-go we've tried to keep um the basic elements of arena the same just the concept of a block and the concept of a channel and um, I would say some users grasp that more than others some of them use it just as containers um, sort of static containers for their stuff some people just have one channel that they just dump everything in oh interesting so like we were trying to I mean we sort of in a way accommodate any type of way that someone wants to use it uh however like however bad for them or us it is (laughs) yeah like it could they could be using it horrible and you know we could like message them be like you know you know you could really like organize this better (laughs) this channel um but like we don't want to do that so yeah i that's actually a really good point and maybe this can lead into to the design a little bit which i'm i have i'm i have a theory kind of about also but the idea of blocks and channels is actually like that's really all it is Mm -hmm. and that's actually very flexible and so you can kind of take these two just kind of very basic elements and do a lot of different things with them so you know I use it primarily as research and a way to kind of catalog things but I, I stumbled upon just the other day it was a channel and I think it was just called trees and it was just photographs of trees and that's it. And there, there seemed to be no rhyme or reason about why these trees were in there. And it was just, it was like almost poetic. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's all using like the same thing. And it didn't feel right or wrong. It was just like, oh, I never thought about it just as like a gallery. Yeah. Um, so can you, can you kind of just like quickly 
just in case people haven't used the service, what's a block, what's a channel, or how those kind of work together? Yeah, uh, so a block is a piece of content. could be image, a link, piece of text, PDF, file, basically any kind of media you can make into a block. Um, and a channel is a collection of blocks. And channels can be public or private or completely open for anyone who's right. logged in to add to. Um, and then the other thing is connections. So a block can be connected to multiple channels. So I could save something to one channel, and someone else can come along and connect that block to another channel. And, and then you can see, again, this is the social part. The thing that I was originally kind of skeptical of, you can see all of the different channels that one block is. Yeah. Uh, is on so you can start to kind of see how it travels or how it how it moves around. Yeah, yeah, and channels can also be connected to other channels. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, so that's that's like it. That's in the entire rule set basically. Yeah, um, and yeah, people do weird stuff with it. And I think, I, yeah, to go back to your question a little bit about like and how it relates to that rule set, I think what we've changed or what we've tried to calibrate over time is how, <laughs> like how much to say about what that structure is and what you yeah. do with it, and like where's the line between being flexible enough and too flexible. That leads perfectly into my question, kind of about the design of the site, or, or maybe kind of somewhat related to the design of the site, because when I, when I did finally then kind of sign up and I started following some people that I knew and then was looking at the main, um, what's the page where you can just kind of see? It's, is it called Explore? Yeah. Um, you can kind of see that. I felt like, I immediately felt like there was a certain type of person who was using it, and there was a certain type of content that was being saved. Mm -hmm. And I think that's still true to an extent. I think, I think it's a product that's very much for a particular sort of brain, but I'm curious if you think the design kind of encourages a, a particular type of person or a particular type of research or a particular type of usage, even though it's kind of so sparse and so clean yeah. and it really does kind of let you do what you want. Yeah. How it, does that influence how it's used? Um, well, I mean, I don't, I don't know for sure how it influences like <laughs> each individual person, yeah. but um, I think from the get-go, I mean, just speaking for myself as like a designer um, and what I see in other products, um, especially at the time, I think a lot of other products have sort of caught up to us in terms of being minimal and, yeah. and like, you know, Instagram is, is all white and black now and, yeah. um, like, you know, Facebook is still like a mess or whatever, but, um, yeah. you know, a lot of sites kind of have gone more minimal. So I don't know if we're like, I don't know, I think we're kind of going for that early adopter who has this kind of sensibility and knows how, and like can understand the minimal. Yeah. Uh, some people, I think, might may not grasp it right away, um, but we'll reach those people eventually, you know, yeah. Like, yeah. Like through better usability and, and whatnot. Let me, let me ask this question in a different way, because I think I agree with you, and I think... I don't know if it was on the on the the Republic crowdfunding or if it was something that you guys had written, but you were talking about kind of like 
slowing the internet down a little bit, I think, and kind of how this is is to be different than everything else yeah. on the web. And I think, you know, looking at, I think, you know, I'm sorry to keep bringing up Pinterest, but they make a nice comparison to each other um, in just kind of the, the way you're on the site yeah. and the way you use it and how you use it. And so how do you think that a, that a platform like yours or like any kind of online platform can actually influence the discourse that happens on it? You know, so it's not even just, you know, the design of it, how it makes me want to use it, but just the way we talk to each other. <laughs> we try and think about what things should be easy and what things should be hard. And a lot of, I think, I, mean, I don't want to speak for you, Chris, but like some of the decisions that we make are like trying to make the things that you shouldn't have to think about a lot easier. But the things that you should have to think about, like making a connection, is actually like kind of difficult. And it should, oh, interesting. Be, it should, it should kind of be like. It should be slow, a slow thing where you have a moment to reflect. You know, yeah, um, you're actually like adding some friction to that, mm -hmm. that well, moment. There's friction, but we're not we're not trying to take it away. I guess. Right. I don't know if we're right. purposefully adding friction, but certain things can 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 be afforded. To, you know, can afford to take a little longer. I've noticed myself. Generally, I'm I'm feeling uncomfortable with social media just mm -hmm. and its role in my life in general, and I've been trying to spend less time on it. But I found that in those moments, you know waiting in line at the grocery store, like, you know, those types of things on the train. Arenas, increasingly, the thing that I'm opening up to consume things, not, you know, to, to find other things to read instead of yeah. tweets. And I think, you know, it's, the, I think the people are different. I think the, the links and the discussion is deeper. I don't know if it's just that I like follow less people, so it feels like more of it is relevant yeah. to me. Yeah. Um, again, as, I don't know if that's a question, but can you kind of like talk about just that like consumption part of it and like the way the way it's it comes back to the way we started the conversation. I'm sorry, I'm really struggling to get this question, but of like the sharing knowledge where it isn't just saving things for yourself, but there is this kind of, like, exchange that's happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's yeah, not a no, question. I, no, but. I know what you're saying. I mean, well, semi-related. I've tried to recently, when someone connects one of my blocks to their channels, to go into their profile and find something of theirs to connect to my channel. Oh, that's nice. Like, not, not so, well, I guess kind of as a game, you know, to see, like, how much of how much of exchange can you like really push there? Um, but yeah, I think that oh, I don't know. I don't maybe know maybe. Oh well, like I think uh, the way we have arena set up and and you know erasing follower accounts, not having an avatar on people's profile. Um, oh, right. There's like a few things that we do um, uh, explicitly to sort of tone back the sort of self-branding, self-advertising mm -hmm. stuff, right. which is like what dominates social media because of, you know, one reason or another, like network effects, uh, people just promoting their own projects, like trying to get through the noise. I don't know. Like yeah. people just, 
trying to go for viral everywhere. Right. But we're more trying to go for like just valuable information. So people actually put in information of value on Arena um, versus, you know, because it kind of resurfaces every once in a while, you don't really want to put like this kind of temporary transient yeah. um, stuff uh, in your profile. So people, I think, just because of how visible the profile is, um, they, they're they really concerned with like making sure that whatever they put for public consumption is of value to the public, yeah. general public. Yeah. Um, they might have like a personal, you know, a personal folder full of like personal photos. I'm sorry, a, a private channel full of personal photos. Um, but that's just for them. Yeah. I don't know. I think I think like we just we just nudge people towards posting things of value versus posting things for for viral reasons. Like the, you could try and be viral on Arena. Yeah, but but the content has to be valuable. Yeah, you know, it yeah. can't be just some like like there's memes that get circulated, obviously, and that has its own world on Arena. But like as a whole, you know, it's really just what what's you know what do people have an affinity for this? It's kind of like that's a little bit different than other other social platforms. You're exactly right. You just connected a bunch of like <laughs> what I feel like I've spent this whole conversation trying to articulate and that it is it's it's like devaluing the personality the person the brand and is actually like really truly putting the content first and so could because and it, it connects to the open source that you mentioned at the beginning that I wanted to come back to and that it doesn't matter where the content originally came from who the first person to post it was you know what matters is that it's you know being seen by the people that want to see that yes. that article or that PDF or or whatever, and then I think the like virality is is exactly it. like I never even thought about it that way. Like that's the difference is that it's not about posting something so like a lot of people will then save it. It's it's like posting something because there's importance, and that comes back to that like slowness to it and that it's not this stuff that's just going yeah yeah i, I didn't even think about it. i'm sorry it's like you just connected all of this to me and that it's it's about like what you're doing on it not about the Who people on it yeah, yeah i never thought about it that way was that a conscious decision we, we yeah. yeah we thought about it like a couple of years ago we yeah. kind of came to that realization um and we, it, we were just thinking of all the reasons why all these other platforms kind of fail or people get tired of them. And a lot of it is just, you know, um, the constant self-promotion and the, and the personal branding and the selfies. There's places for yeah. that, for sure. But, like, when it gets optimized and algorithmically sorted, that's when, you know, that's when you're, like, seeing something that you don't want to see. Yeah, it's nice to hear. It's nice. The, the one of the best compliments that we get is when someone tells us like, oh, yeah, like I love looking at people's profiles on Arena. It's like looking into their brain. Yeah. And that the the sort of balance that I was talking about earlier, which is like it's partially for self use, and there's like maybe twenty thirty percent performative, mm-hmm. is that like you're not trying to. I don't know. You're not like it would be really hard to construct a personality on Arena because you would have to go at it for a really long time. 
yeah. they basically just become that person. Right. You know what right. I mean? So right. it's just like, you just, the only way to do arena is to like, do just do it the way that you're interested in it. And that's the stuff that will work well. Yeah. 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 And, and you know, I, I, I started using the service more. It became something that, you know, I, I browse mm -hmm. often. I'm kind of always like everything that I read or look at is kind of getting filed away there now. And I, so I, I, it had become this thing that was increasingly bigger in my life. And so I wanted to, to figure out a way to talk to you guys for the podcast, but it's, it didn't feel like a, the theme of the podcast oh, yeah, yeah. for a while until I kind of realized two things. And one is that this idea of saving and archiving and organizing is a type of creative practice or creative work in and of itself. Yeah. Just this kind of, I'm sorry to use this word, but like curation, you know, like putting things into groups. And, and then the opposite side is that by doing that publicly, you are creating a discourse. And then when I thought about that way, suddenly these two things I'm really interested in, discourse and kind of creative practice, were happening together. Do you find that most of the people on the, the service or most of the people that are using it, are they kind of creative people? Are they researchers? Like what type of what type of users do you mostly have now? I think they tend to be creative on the creative side of things, but I think it's also it lends itself to people who are used to thinking of or, or com very comfortable with thinking in interdisciplinary ways. Or people mm, right. who tend to be dabblers or people who tend to be like interested in a lot of different disparate subjects. And I think that for whatever reason, creative people are the most, uh, yeah. tend to be the most yeah. like that. Um, but I think that I, I, we hope that it just won't, that there will be like a good diverse mix of people and that it won't just be like people who self-identify as creative, but people from all over the place because, you know, the best designers are getting inspiration from like, not just, right. Uh, aesthetic sources but conceptual sources right. and like um, but the same thing goes for scientists like they're not just reading papers they're like looking at you know, right yeah yeah I mean and that's what that again I'm sorry I feel like this is me just like telling you guys that you're doing a good job but that's like what's so interesting about it is that I am following a range of people uh, with kind of different interdisciplinary backgrounds and because it's not algorithmically feeding things to me because it's not telling me what it thinks I'm sure all this stuff can just sit together mm -hmm. and then it's up to me to sort through and organize and figure out what I want to spend time with exactly. I actually think that's like really powerful and no one talks about the power in that yeah and also there's uh, we try and put like randomness into effect yeah um, in a lot of places so um, I don't know. I don't know how many blocks you have on Arena, but a fun, a fun little trick is setting your profile to just random blocks mode. So every time you visit your profile, oh, you just kind of—I've never done that. You're just presented with like eight or uh, twelve, you know, random blocks that you may have saved in the past. Um, and so, like, yeah, I think random randomness like trumps algorithms like every time yeah, for I, me. I totally agree. Um, and you know, you, like in all the 
the nature things they tell you like even if it's random there's a pattern that emerges like a fractal that emerges over time so it's like that with yeah it's like that with like thoughts and 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 uh concepts and images too yeah, yeah. and yeah, and being able to look at stuff that you've saved a long time ago and through a new lens, juxtaposed with other stuff, it's like way right. more. It's just like feels better than have something having to be like extremely up to date or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's uh, what's next for the site, or like what what are do you have plan? Where kind of what are your goals? Where do you want to take this? Yeah. Um. So well, the near term plans is that we're working on. Uh, groups feature um, oh nice which is you know could be used in like work context or could be used in an educational context yeah. or could just be used among people who are like doing the same stuff um, and we already kind of started with it with we have a thing called collaborator groups where if you're like working with the same people on a number of different right. channels you can make a group and add the group at the same time uh, the difference is that uh, those groups will actually have their own profiles and be able to just own channels outright. So, uh. so say you have say you have a scratching the surface group, um, like all your all those channels can live there. Right. And it's kind of another, it's another form of organization, but that is based around identity. Or yeah. Identity. So I could have like a group for a class that I teach exactly. all my students yep. there, yep. and then you can have all these channels within that. Totally. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, and those are the kinds of things that emerge just out of us seeing how people use it. Um, like, I, we've talked about groups for kind of a long time, but it's like become more and more pressing as we see more and more people working within the same set of people and like yeah. coming to us with like the same set of issues. And right. Yeah, we have kind of high hopes for groups. Um, yeah, Even though it's like there's nothing that's revolutionary about it, but in the in the arena universe, it's like it'll so important. Yeah, it'll give a lot of people the ability to be like more organizational with their stuff. Yeah, um, that's kind of been one of the main pieces of feedback that we get is that it's too it's too like loose loosey goosey <laughs> with the organizing, but with this, uh, we hope it kind of like. You know, if people are are clever with it, they can like check away a lot of boxes with right. how they organize stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm already I already have like ideas of how I could use this with my classes. I was I was telling Cab before we started that um, I'm starting to more and more require my students to have to set up accounts, but then there's still like a little bit of how do we kind of bring all of these together? And like yeah. that would solve all of that. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's, that's nice. I have two more questions. And these are two questions that I end kind of all of these conversations with. Um, and the first one is I'm, I'm curious kind of what are you guys thinking about right now? Like what are the things on, on your mind, you know, kind of outside the site or, or uh, you know, kind of research things that you're thinking about or, you know, that sort of thing? What's just like what's what's on your mind? Hmm. I, I guess like kind of peripherally to, to just the internet and stuff. I've I've been like um, personally interested in um, well, just just me as a person. <laughs> I'm like trying to sort <laughs> yeah, of that's I'm trying to sort of like uh, alter my media consumption uh, throughout the week. So I, I'm thinking a lot about um, just exposure to 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 like content and and whether it's distracting, you know, yeah. just 
just the broader like subject of like media exposure and inspiration. I whether, think about that all the time. Yeah, like how much is too much, how little is too little. You know whether it cha- affects your mood or not. That's kind of like a personal project I've been working on for myself. I think about I, it's related to arena, but I I sort of think about education a lot, mm. just in in not really specific and finite ways, but more like um, just the lack of emphasis that gets placed on it and <laughs> in the political level. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. really strange to me. Um, yeah, I read this. I have to put it on Arena, actually, but I read it in print. Uh, this really good article about Singapore's education system. Okay. And apparently, it's like the highest rated education system in the world. Um, but it's it, it traditionally has been very test based and like really rigorous, and a lot of like students going through this process of like incredibly rigorous, like hard study and this yeah. Stuff. But they are switching their education system to be more about like fuzzy grades and well-rounded people so they're cutting out the the like like you won't get a 95 you're just getting an a oh and they're also like switching the curriculum to be more about placing students in this like um like a a context where they can gather emotional intelligence and just be normal well-rounded human beings and thinking about that as like a way to invest in the country in a a country is really interesting to me I love that. That's why I think, you know, platforms like Arena are really nice in that, in that, and especially in a classroom setting, is that it does it does take away that idea of you're taking a test, you're doing this for a grade, and it becomes much more about kind of exploration and yeah. collecting, like collecting knowledge instead of yeah. being given knowledge. I think yeah. is is really interesting. So I'm not. I say all that to to say that I'm not surprised <laughs> that, that that would be something that's on your mind. Yeah. Yeah, it's really important. It's it's really hard to, you know, I feel like I was one of those students in high school where I would, like, not pay attention in class, but then just be reading a book on my own. Yeah, and yeah. I don't think there's anything, you know what I mean? Like, right. Of course, I'm biased, but, like... like I agree with you, it's, yeah. It's in, especially in the age of the internet where there's just so much access, like, that is it. It's like, there's so much opportunity that is missed with, with yeah. people coming up in school. That... That leads perfectly into my last question. I always, I always like to end these with like, who are the, the writers or you know authors that have really influenced you? What are the books that have really influenced you? So, I'm gonna ask that. But then, kind of the sub question is: Are there arena users or arena channels that kind of mean a lot to you or have influenced you? So you don't have to limit it to. Yeah. Books and, and authors. If you wanna if you wanna talk about it in the context of arena, yeah. that would be great too. Yeah. You have any? Okay, I'll go first. <laughs> um, in terms of authors, I guess um, David Baum. I never know how to say his last name. David Baum is a really big influence on me. Like B O H M. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's a physicist. Yeah. Who started talking about or talking more about thinking and how thought is made. Um, all of those books are like infinitely rereadable. Um, I also I'm super into William Gibson, which is kind of embarrassing to say <laughs> because it's so typical. But uh, yeah, he's he's great. All of the last three books that he's or the, yeah. yeah yeah William Gibson. And then in terms of arena channels, oh my god, um, Damon actually is like uh, was like maybe for me one of the original uh, inspirations for arena. Okay, because he has 
kept up this practice of like archiving his research online for a really long time. And I just personally think that his channels are amazing. Okay, so nice. So Damon Zucconi. And then there's another, there's another person on Arena who, I don't know who it is, but their name changes all the time. I think right now it's October Less Likely. Okay. Um, and all of their channels are amazing. And I don't, like, I wouldn't know how to describe them. They're like, it's mostly text, but then it will be like little bits of images. Oh, and all the text is ungoogleable, so I think they're just writing it. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, if, yeah, I'll, right. yeah, if, send if me the not, link and I'll put it. If it's not October less likely, I'll, I'll find the yeah, link yeah. and send it to you. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I'm, I've been trying, uh, as Cap was answering, I was trying to think of like what writers have influenced me. Um, I'm, I'm like slowly getting into books as, as I age. Um, so, so I didn't re do too much reading in, in my past, but um, I'd say uh, like as far as people who influenced me, like I think my major influence is Stanley Kubrick. Nice. Um, and there's, uh, it's under the Arena Influences channel, but I, uh, I posted a block that was called Stanley Kubrick's Boxes. Oh, yeah. And it just talks about his, like, process of doing research for all his oh, movies. Oh, yeah. And how, like, extensive it was. And I just have so much respect for that. And um, and just that, that, like, just that crazy curiosity that he had to find out about, like, every little thing before he puts it into the movie. I forgot. Um, I, that makes perfect sense. And that's actually, like, a perfect <laughs> analog. I remember, the one thing I remember from that is, I forget what movie it was for, but he just had a box that was literally just photographs of every door mm -hmm. of like, because he needed to know what door he was going to film. And it was just like door, yeah, thousands just, of doors. Yeah, yeah. I just love like the, the like, I don't know, it's just so extreme. Um, <laughs> yeah. But um, I aspire yeah. to, to be like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, definitely. It's kind of aspirational for sure. Um, not, I don't, I don't know if I work that, that same way, but just thinking about someone, you know, imagining if Kubrick was alive right now, how, how he could use arena and if it would be useful <laughs> for him. It's just fun to think about. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. As far as channels, um, I don't know. I have like a few channels that I just like, and I look at a lot. There's one channel called freedom, um, by Stephanie, I don't know what her last name is, but it's Stephanie S N T. S N T. Yeah, it's and uh, it's it's a lot of just it's just like kind of liberating uh, images of like people of color and fashion and media. Oh, and nice. It's just kind of like a collection of stuff like that, and it's just really like an uplifting channel. Um, there's also a channel that I go to when I want to have a laugh um, called Future Novelty Shop Inventory. Oh, yeah. And that's I don't know just, this one either. It's just hilarious. I mean, yeah. just I, I couldn't even. You just gotta go there yeah, and check it out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is why. This is why I asked the second part of the question because I know there are these good channels that I'm completely missing. Yeah. And I, if anybody knows where they are, it's this, it's this, a, this is an OG channel. It's been around for a long time, but yeah. it's and it's long, but it's like so much gold, so much comedic gold yeah, in there. Yeah, it's right. like yeah. It's all text blocks, no images. Okay. Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Okay. Nice. I'm I'm following all of these now. Cool. Thank you so much for this. Like I'm like I said, I'm a big fan. Um, it, it embarrassingly slow to to realize it, but then once I got it, I'm I'm all in. Uh, and I just love what you guys are doing, and think that it's a really like worthy and needed 
site and something that I find a lot of value in. And so thanks so much for having this conversation. This was so fun for me. Thank you, man. Uh, thank you. This episode was recorded on September 13th, 2018 in New York City. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.